Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Music Lab Podcast. My name is Dog, and I am so happy to be with me, Mr. Adam Hooks from Hooks and the Huckleberries. Welcome, my friend. Hello. How are you today? I am doing great. All the way from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, so you just finished up lunch. How yeah, was the yeah. day so far? <laughs> I mean, the the day was a day. Let's just let's just put it that way. It's you know, I I got an early start with with a dog walk like I usually do, and uh, and then you know, paced the house to to get rid of some anxiety before going out into the real world, and 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 uh, and now I'm sitting down with you uh, to have a cool chat. So this is great, man. So. Let's talk about it. So you guys started in 2020, 2019? 2020. Uh at the time, essentially what happened was I was in a I was in a punk band called Russian Girlfriends, and I and I was hitting hitting the wall with a with a lot of things in my personal life that were in turn affecting how I was feeling about that band at the time and you know, and and kind of making me question like, like what did I really want to do? musically with my life and i was starting to feel very limited by the world of punk rock which is funny because when i first got into punk rock you know like the idea was you can be whoever you want and be your true self and you know and like that's what makes it cool and it just seemed like once i was in that world uh there was for for you know a genre that likes to express how little rules they have there ended up there ended up being a lot of rules to punk rock that, and, you know, at a certain point I started feeling myself become more and more disconnected with like needing to look a certain way and needing to only listen to this kind of music. And, you know, and, you know, I don't think it's, it's always like that, but that's just the way I was feeling with it at the time after spending years on the road and, you know, you know, and, and most of the, all of those years, drunk <laughs> you know like it was just it was it, it was it was time and so the pandemic hit and uh like weirdly enough like like the world was falling apart yet somehow for myself it gave me the the time to to like just like stop and reevaluate things that i really needed to reevaluate and you know you know on top of leaving or leaving slash being forced to leave my former my former punk band uh and also you know like finally ending like an eight-year extremely toxic romantic relationship like there was just a lot of things that that i was that i was doing at the time and uh, uh josh lee the guitar player for the huckleberries like, i had seen him around town playing in various projects and i knew i knew like he was mostly a country player or that's or at least that's what he was doing when i had seen him but i had already started like being a little bit more interested in that world so more mostly because i was kind of like coming back to my roots so like like growing up in the rural midwest uh, you know like i i was surrounded by by you know country music most of it not very good and on country radio but then there was also like you know, the people who were really into Hank Williams and Johnny Cash and, you know, and, and, 
and I was lucky enough to have a family that was very, that had, uh, you know, like just was very open to all different styles of music. And so I grew up listening to Merle Haggard. And then the next album that would get put on would be like the Pixies Doolittle or like, you know, so it was, it was, it was, you know, luck. I'm, I'm very grateful and lucky to have been able to grow up with that because it opened my mind to so much so early. And, um, you know, when I was stepping away from punk rock, like I've always been a songwriter and, you know, and I've always used the acoustic guitar as my main instrument, just as far as for writing songs. And like, so I was, I was starting to get back just into like, like just focusing on writing and being myself and playing solo. And, uh, I had contacted Josh Lee about a possible like jam session since, everybody had lost all their shows and, you know, like we were, we were kind of just, you know, sitting on our asses and, and, you know, he, he was like, yeah, like I'd be totally down for that, you know? And, uh, and so I brought, you know, I brought my guitar guitar over to his place in Corrales and, you know, we, we chilled outside for a little bit and like, we're, we're just, you know, like trading stuff back and forth. And I brought, and I brought some new song ideas and, I, I think only about 15 minutes went by and he, uh, he was just like, so like, wh when do you want to make an album? Like it was like 15 minutes into the jam session and it was, he was already all in, you know, he had heard, he'd already like heard the songs I was writing before. And it's, and it was really interesting because he was, I think he might've been the first one to s literally tell me like, even the songs you were writing in your punk band were fucking country songs. You know, they're, you were just playing them really fast, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and just that, the idea that, yeah, it's about the song and the, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter what genre you file on or it's about just writing good songs and good music. And, uh, and so that started this journey, you know, like we, we, we focused in 2020 on mostly just Josh and I, I'm like, well, let's make an album. We didn't even know if it was going to be a band or just a project we did for the, during the pandemic or, or what, like, and that's why we, we had a lot of, uh, hired musicians and, and stuff on, on the first record was because we, at that time it was Josh and I, and then like, you know, people that he knew people that I knew that we pulled into the studio to like become part of this project. Uh, and, you know, luckily through that process is how we found our, our drummer, Dustin, who is, who is now, you know, who has been like an official member and, uh, you know, and one of the most important members of the band, you know, since he decided to join it, like it, it's pretty flattering to, uh, bring in a drummer to play on a record, knowing he has several other, other projects that he's doing. And by the time the record is finished, he has left all those projects to focus on, on your songs, you know, like it's, it's, you know, I'm still very, still kind of can't believe, you know, that, that as a 38 year old man, who's been struggling to do this his whole life, I've also gotten other adults to join me on, on this and to, you know, put a lot on the line to try to make, you know, a drop in the ocean count, I guess. Let's talk about songwriting because you touched on it a little bit there. Are you more of a um, 
lyrics first and then music or are you music first and then lyrics it it definitely depends but i i i'd say for the most part lyrics first then music which can sometimes lead me into writing the same song over and over and i got to be careful with that and that's another great reason that uh i like thankful to have josh and dustin as like full-time collaborators because they're also you know beyond being incredible musicians like they're also incredible music fans and so they have ideas from you know that i would not think of and vice versa and that tends to make a a better song a better album a better live experience everything so 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 yeah so basically the pandemic obviously just was a debacle for the music industry in particular, you know, uh, and mainly because of the live, you know, the live and touring aspect being eliminated. Um, you're right. You know, I think a lot of bands like you use that time to either get better as a band that they were already in or try something new because everything was shut down. So it is kind of cool how, you know, what four years later, three years later that, you know, we're, we're finally seeing the fruits of all of that. You know what that mean? Yeah. It's, and it's crazy to like how many people we've run into on the road, you know, and it's like, everybody has a similar story, you know? And it's like, it's like, man, it's like, it was a terrible time. And yet somehow it became one of the most creatively fruitful times, like of our, our lives, as far as the, the huckleberries are concerned, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, I'm the fact that we're still doing it and making it more successful, at least as much as we can in the modern world, you know, like it's, it's great. So. so let's talk about Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, for, I have not been there and I, I, it sucks that I've not been there. It's definitely going to be on my list, but you know, for someone who's not been there before, if you're a travel agent or if you're a real estate agent, you know, sell me on the city and then let's talk about the music scene then. All right. All right. Uh, do you want the honest, the honest representation of Albuquerque or do you want like the, the actual like tourism department? Like there are no problems here <laughs> version. Uh, Adam, after listening to your songs and the honesty that comes out in them, if you didn't give me the honest version, <laughs> You would see right through it. I, there's, I, I, you know, I'm a pretty open book, but yeah, I mean, Albuquerque is such you know, like an amazing and interesting place because it has incredible natural beauty. Like you go, you know, 15 minutes in any direction from the city and you're either going to be in the mountains or at the petroglyphs or volcanoes or just, just the beautiful desert Mesa. Like, I mean, there, you know, like there's, there's just great natural beauty uh, and, you know, sur surrounding the city and then the city itself, you know, uh, seems it's as much as I love it. It's a, it's a small city with very big city problems. And I'm, and I, and I'm sure that's pretty much every place in America right now. You know, when it comes to things like the fentanyl crisis and violent crime, you know, and, you know, because a lot of that feeds in to each other. And so and so Albuquerque is definitely as as great of a city as it is. And as much as I love it, it's a city in crisis right now. And so it's been it's been it's been difficult because when I first 
moved here, you know, it was, it, you know, it was just kind of this wild hippie town is, you know, where there's, where like so many different cultures just like interplayed together in the, in this small city. And it, and it, and it creates a very unique culture and atmosphere that you're definitely not going to get anywhere else. You know, like we have like, you know, it's not Mexican food. We have new Mexican food and it's a different thing. We got red and green chili. These are, you know, if you ever do come visit and get a burrito and they, they ask you what chili you want, you know, like that's a very important question, question to New Mexicans and Burqueños as, as you would be called if you lived in Albuquerque. But, you know, you, you, you have, uh, the beautiful representation of a very present, a very present indigenous populations from, from the Pueblos and the Navajo nation. Uh, you know, uh, you have, you know, you, you do have like the Hispanic culture and the old New Mexican families that, you know, that came here, uh, you know, like forever ago and have had, you know, had land here for so long. You have, uh, you know, like the, the, the Caucasian population, you know, like you have the, the Vietnamese population, a lot of which moved here after the Vietnam war, you know, and it's, and it, and it just, and it just makes it, it's, it's makes it a, a very unique melting pot, you know? And, uh, and I'm, you know, just like other cities, I'm sure there's uh struggle between all, all of those cult- cultures, but honestly, like, I don't, I, I feel that, I don't feel that as much in, in Albuquerque. Like, I just feel like in Albuquerque, there's, there's, there's a lot of respect to be had for, for the fact that everybody kind of knows the deal. Like, yeah, we're, we're all here, (laughs) you know, make it, making this thing happen. And this, and this is why Albuquerque is Albuquerque and what, and part of the things that, that makes it beautiful. Does that then bleed into the music scene? Absolutely. I mean, so, you know, like, like you can go downtown on and go to brewery and see like a mariachi band and then go see a, a thrash metal band at launch pad and then maybe hop over to sister and there'll be like a hip hop show, you know, with, with, a with like a lo- the local hip hop scene, like coming up soon every year, there's something called like 808 or, uh, um, forgot sorry there there's there's a there's a pretty thriving hip-hop scene here as well is what i was trying to say so i mean yeah like like there there's definitely just like in any other big city there's there's definitely no limits to the styles you're gonna find um and that's really cool you know and and usually those artists will usually end up playing like some event together and next thing you know there's collaborations like when i very first moved to new mexico even before i got into the punk rock scene like i fell in to a crew of like of of hip-hop heads and so i like you know thought i was a rapper for five years and 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 tried to try to do that and you know you know but but you know, it was always very apparent that I was much better at writing folk songs than I was at writing hip hop songs. But like, those are still my friends, you know, like I'll still go and see a b-boy competition, you know, like on Valentine's day or like, you know, just because it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great city and it, and it does breed creativity. Uh, I do feel like 
a lot of times the scene in Albuquerque though has kind of a crab and crabs in a barrel mentality, unfortunately, where it's like they want it, they want the art and the music for themselves and, and it's celebrated and respected. But as soon as you try to break out and do something bigger and like, and not just be an Albuquerque band or just, you know, it, it's like this, this reaction to like, it's almost like, Oh, they think that they think they're better than us, that they're, they're going to try to get out of Albuquerque or, you know, and, and unfortunately I feel like that, holds the music scene back a lot because as a result, no one really tries harder than they have to, to just get a show downtown or to, you know, like there's, it doesn't, and that doesn't mean that they're not, there's not talent and not great songwriters and great bands and artists, but you know, like there's a lot of that, you know, we're doing just fine here we don't you know why why try to be anything else you know and and that's something that we right oh sorry yeah i guess though that's kind of a testament almost though to the city though because i would say if you talk to most musicians that live in like you said major cities that life isn't sustainable so you know if these artists can do that you know i guess that's it's like a double-edged sword a little bit, huh? Well, here's the other thing, though. It's like by by doing it, it's certainly not doing it and making a living off it. It's not like like okay. in Texas, you in Texas, you could straight up play nothing but Texas and make a hundred grand a year. And like, you know, like it's just, uh, you know, the other thing Albuquerque doesn't have is money at all, which is another reason the city's in crisis. It's just... You know, we're we're like one of the worst in the nation for education, one of the worst in the nation for for violent crime and property crime, one of the worst in the nation for addiction. I mean, like, you know, all of these things like are other things that help hold hold, you know, the scene back, honestly, you know, and and uh, and I'm sure I know it's not just here, but it's but it's 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 almost like more visible here because it's a smaller city but the problem is just as big you know and so yeah well said i I think that's i think you you hit the the nail on the head with that so you know we you kind of touched on it earlier so the transition from being in a punk band to now being with the huckleberries I know the similarities, but for our audience and for, for, you know, for an audience that might not be familiar, what are the similarities between punk and country? I mean, the way I, the way I view it is that they're both music for the people, for the common man, you know, it just seems like one is more associated with an urban environment and the other associated with a more rural environment. But the, but the similarity the similarity is as far as like even like song structure and subject matter and you know like like there's more similarities than there are differences and you know i know there's a lot of people and this includes me because i because i was in this group for for a long time that they hear the term country country music and they immediately associate it with this post 911 patriotic pandering bullshit you know and 
Yeah. Like I, you know, especially growing up in rural South Dakota when nine 11 happened and, you know, and all of a sudden there's a fucking American flag every five feet. And there's a, you know, like it, you know, like, and these are people that have never even visited New York city in their life, you know, like, I mean, not to say that they shouldn't show support for fallen countrymen, but like, I, there was just such, like, I just, you know, like the, the music coming out, it was like people like artists were forced to pick a side. And that's why you had the, the bullshit Toby Keith versus Dixie chicks, you know, fight happening back then. And it's, and and it it turned like it started kind of turning country music into this thing that it wasn't supposed to be or you know if like where it's where it was all like like it you have to be you know politically more on the right side and like that's because that's who this music is for you know you know and, and then it's like but but i know it's not because i i just listened to johnny cash talk about like like what we did to the Lakota nation, what, you know, when, when, when we, when we forced them on the reservations, I just heard, you know, like, like, what, what do you mean? This is only for the right side, you know, but because I was, you know, in high school and a punk rocker or whatever, it's like, yeah, but country music, man. Like I, you know, I definitely, I definitely found myself falling into that category, you know, even though I had been raised on Steve Earl and right, ra- you know, like raised on Jason and the scorchers and like, like these, these bands that were like th- these artists and bands that were country, but also very openly pretty left, you know, and, you know, kind of calling like their stance on the political things were calling out the people in charge for why are you not taking care of our veterans and why are, you know, not just like send them over to, to kill, you know, to kill Brown people in a country that were invading for their oil. Like it's, you know, like it, it's, and so, yeah, like when, when I was finally having my, my return moment to like, like settling down and, and getting back to just kind of playing folk songs again. And like, and like just going back to my roots and focusing on the song as opposed to the genre, like that. And when Josh and I first, you know, when we started like collaborating and he, and he was like showing me all these country artists he was listening to. And I was you know, and I had, I think I had no idea that like there had be, had be started this new movement of country kind of trying to take it back from that, that vision of things, you know, like, like all of a sudden you had Tyler Childers and Sturgill Simpson and like, you know, and these artists that were like coming out that were fucking incredible that like, you know, had I maybe not been exposed to them in the right way, like maybe wouldn't have even considered checking them out because it was country. And like, that's not, you know, that's not who I am in, you know, as an individual or politically or whatever. And, 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 you know, and so, yeah, like that, that, that realization of like, like listening to people, Jason, Isabel, Tyler Childers, you know, and I had like started to dabble in it, but then, you know, when Josh, really brought me into that world was when I was when I had that major realization of like, these are the, this is the same shit. This is the same shit. And in fact, I'm listening to these songs by these country artists and the subject matter and the way they're bringing it across is way more fucking punk than half the shit I hear in the punk world now, you know, like, yeah. 
I must say, I, and you probably, I, well, I, I think you would agree. I feel like, though, today's country, and I mean like the last five years, right, it seems like country is now kind of sounding more like hip-hop and rap than punk because it's a lot of like you know over the top like you know over the top trucks and showing like them on vacation and like you know talking about women and like you know it seems a little bit more like and what i have you know like like material stuff as well especially the main i mean probably the mainstream country and like you know, I'm not trying to sound like that guy who, like, oh, I don't listen to mainstream country, but I, I kind of don't, <laughs> you know? I'm talking like, about, like, Luke Bryan and, like, Florida Georgia Line, like, those bands. But, like, you're right. Jason Isbell, Zach Bryan, you know, I would even say, like, Wilco, like, bands like that, you know? It's country, but it has, like, like you said, more of a punk edge to it, and they have something to say. You know, it's not just what I have, you know, like a list of what I have. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and uh and uh that's all i mean I'm, as a music fan that's obviously for me why i'm drawn more towards that side of things and like i still think there's a place and time for just fucking party music or like dance music like obviously not like you know not every song has to be like a brilliantly written you know like sometimes you just want a song about shaking your ass <laughs> you know or you know and it and that's fine you know but but i definitely like being a songwriter myself like i'm definitely i'm always more drawn towards someone that's speaking a personal truth that i can like connect with and relate to and you know like there, it's really cool actually seeing a lot of these artists uh, come up and and playing country and Americana that openly admit they grew up listening to punk and grunge. And, you know, like there's an artist that's been really influencing uh, me and Josh recently. Uh, his name is Stephen Wilson Jr. And he's, and he's a Nashville artist, but he grew up in Indiana in the same town as John Mellencamp. So like he has that influence. Uh, uh, and, uh, and he also like just talks a lot in his songs about uh, like, like hearing Kurt Cobain for the first time. And and so he has this amazing element of like, he plays in drop D and he, it's like, it's like if grunge were country and not in a cheesy way, like there are bands that have kind of tried to do that recently that I, that I'm not too into, but Stephen Wilson Jr. is not only a great songwriter, like he's really been able to like add that like nineties punk and grunge influence into his music without it being pandery, without it, without it taking away from the song. And it, and it's, it's super cool. And so like growing up also like a huge, like Nirvana fan and just like grunge fan in, in general, like it, I just love seeing these artists start to be like, you know, not, it's no longer just like, if I'm going to play country music, I have to pretend like I spent every moment of my life in a rodeo or on a farm or, you know, it's like, you know, like there, there's just, there's just more of an honesty coming out with artists and I appreciate it. And he's one of them that especially recently has been really like, like making us think about like, man, like, you know, like maybe we don't need to shy away from our punk side as much, you know, (laughs) like, like, so, yeah. So 
we kind of discovered you on our road to South by series. So obviously you're going to South by, have you been to Austin before? And if not, what, you know, what are you excited about playing at South by? Uh, I mean, we've definitely been to Austin before and I, you know, I've been there uh, with my punk bands as well as with the Huckleberries. Uh, I have a lot of friends that live out there. So like, it's like, I'm re- I always get really excited to be able to like reconnect with people. I don't get to see very often and just, just, you know, laugh, hang out, go to a show, have a good time. Uh, we're, I'm really excited this year. Like last year we got to play an unofficial showcase and it was a great, we had a great time. It was of course chaotic because South by Southwest is notorious for being pretty chaotic and you have people carrying gear three miles to get to their next gig. I mean, like, you know, and yet that's also part of the fun, weirdly, (laughs) weirdly. Uh, This year we get to be official South by Southwest artists, which, which I, I, I've never gotten to do before with any other band. And I'm really, really excited that it's with this band because I feel like this is, this is the best, you know, like any of us have ever been as far as what just as musicians and songwriters and, and performers, you know, like we, and uh, we, you know, we, we got notification that we get to play uh, an atomic booking showcase. Atomic is our, is our booking agency that we are with and that we share with many other amazing artists. And we are very, uh, lucky because we we stumbled stumbled into getting a booking agency probably sooner than we should have and and we greatly uh, we gra- greatly appreciate it what's up kyle that's our booking agent uh <laughs> uh but we got notification that we are going to be playing the official uh, atomic showcase at the continental club and the continental club is a is a pretty notorious uh venue in austin and we got to hit, we hung out and watched some of our friends play there last year. And like, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers, uh, Larry McMurtry or, uh, sorry, James McMurtry, Larry, Larry McMurtry is his father, <laughs> but James McMurtry, uh, was, did, did a residency there or maybe even still does. I'm not sure. So, I mean, it's, you know, like after already seeing that stage and, and, and seeing so many cool artists perform at it, like. I'm just, I'm grateful that we get to finally play, play, you know, like we get to play on that stage and we get, we get a really good slot and uh, we get like a, like a 50 minute slot. We were expecting to play 20 minutes because it's South by Southwest and we're just, you know, we're beyond stoked that they're giving us enough, you know, like a good spot and, and enough time to really show what we do, you know, because, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to be, trying to make this band ourselves and unique and, you know, and, and, and I think we've, you know, I think we have. And so now we get to show, show the world at this, at one of the most important festivals in the world. So. <laughs> Continental club, I can say, and I can tell it, it is, it's, it is amazing. Like you can feel like the history when you walk into that place and the acoustics are fantastic. Um, our friends, the Peterson brothers, uh, have done residencies there, uh, a band that we featured actually in the episode before you for the road to South by series, uh, the West Texas exiles, uh, they're yeah. doing a residency there currently. Um, oh yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Really. 
I know that yeah, really, that. really talented guys as well. So yeah, it's it, Continental is definitely, definitely. You're right. It's definitely. So what um, night is that? <laughs> I might have to get back to you on that because I, I, uh, I. It's in my calendar on my phone, and I hopefully a, it's past the thirteenth. I believe it is. I think okay. it's like I think it might be like the fifteenth or sixteenth or something. Okay, right? good. Yeah. Okay, because oh, yeah, we're there. Uh, the yeah, we're there the thirteenth to the eighteenth. So oh great, so we'll so we'll get to meet in person. Oh, that's awesome. Oh okay, yeah, cool. yeah, 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 yeah. This will be the fifth year that we've gone. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna essentially be out there for like the whole thing. We're we're gonna networking, talk, going and seeing our friends play. I mean, you know, and uh, and hopefully picking up a couple extra gigs. You know, you know, so. It's yep. it's gonna that's be the name of the game. That's the name of the game. Just play as much as you can, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even if it's busking, you know, like just get right. out there. Right. Yeah. So let's talk, let's kind of go back in time a little bit because we just briefly brushed on that. You are a PK, which for people who out there don't know who that means or what that means, you are the son of a preacher. So Talk about family life, how that was, how that kind of shaped you as a as a man. Uh, well, if, if for also for the listeners, uh, if they don't if they don't know the common thread between PKs, uh, it's that you you overcompensate for having for having a publicly religious father figure by doing a lot of shit that gets you in trouble and 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 almost going out of your way. <laughs> to prove that like like uh that you don't to shed the responsibility that i think is put on you from a community standpoint by just knowing that your father is is a religious leader you know um i mean it, the reason we moved around so much growing i moved around so much growing up was i mean that's that's like you know, like a lot of people move around because of military families and ours was because of a religious family. My, my dad, uh, weirdly enough, grew up, his, his mother's Jewish, which would technically make him Jewish, but somehow he, as he describes it, got the calling to be a Lutheran pastor. And so he, and so, you know, he went to, he went to seminary school in, in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And so he was around the the eighties Minneapolis punk rock scene, like the replacements and Husker Du, uh, Soul Asylum, like you know uh, a lot of those bands, uh, which you know which are now bands that definitely probably influenced me almost more than any other. You know the Minneapolis scene, uh, but so Minneapolis St. Paul is where he did his seminary training, and uh, and then I, I think he graduated around the time that I was three or four, I'd say. And his first placement as a, as a pastor was at a country church out in Nebraska in a, in like Gideon, Nebraska, a very small town. And we literally lived like way out in the country where I would spend my childhood uh, walking the mile down the dirt road to go hang out in the graveyard and like blow bubbles and, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, like that, like my parents they have told me before that they would catch me blowing bubbles, sitting on the gravestones to make the spirits happy. If that if that is any indication of who I am now. Uh, but but uh, yeah, so like, you know, like I grew up going to 
you know, going to church services and, and essentially watching my father perform in a, in a different, in a, in a different standpoint, you know, and, and going to, going to funerals and, and, and learning how to sing in church and choir and, you know, and, you know, like I was, you know, but like I had stated previously, like, even though I was in a, you know, a religious family, my, my, my family was also, were also huge music fans. And my dad was, you know, into punk rock and, you know, and the Beatles and, you know, and Johnny Cash. And, and so there was, I was never forced to only listen to Christian music or anything, you know, um, which, which I'm grateful for, but also I feel like, uh, made me, didn't it, like helped me not appreciate gospel as much until I was older, because I think there was a, just like the country thing. It was a little bit like, all eh, like shit, trying to, sh- you know, take myself away from the, the church life, especially as I got into my teens and, you know, uh, and d- discovered punk rock and, <laughs> and the angst and rebellion that came with that. Um, so, you know, like, uh, you know, we moved every three or four years, but we definitely, but we, we generally stayed in, uh, the great Plains States in the Midwest. So it was like Nebraska, Montana, Minnesota, and then, and then, and then, uh, South Dakota. And I do consider Aberdeen, South Dakota, my hometown, just because that's where I graduated high school and got in the most trouble and, you know, and, and where, where I was so desperate to get the hell out of, you know, as soon as I turned 18, uh, which I did. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, uh, so yeah, like it it was, it was, I, I would say it was interesting seeing the religious world from from the position that i that i saw it from because you got like i had the the benefit and discouragement of seeing it from like the inside out you know because my dad was the preacher like you know i i got to see the inner workings behind the scenes of like what runs a church and like you know and you know and then and then on top of that like you know, experiencing these different congregations and yeah. And the, you know, the, the pressure that's put on you be, you know, and the expectations put on you, uh, being the son of a a pastor, when you yourself see the other side, which is, this is just your, my dad, who's a human being who does this as a job. And he like listens, you know, to the dead Kennedys and, and drinks whiskey and like, you know, like, like, just like probably other dads do, but because he's the pastor, like there's, you know, it's all like, not that he was like necessarily secretive, but like, there's definitely like, there's this side of life and then there's this side of life and they don't necessarily mix. And, uh, you know, I always found that frustrating because, you know, I was, I was like, my dad was a very fairly, progressive liberal pastor for the places he was getting put in to preach. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that caused some problems with a lot of the congregations because, you know, he wasn't Republican and he wasn't, you know, and he, and he wasn't racist and he wasn't, you know, like the, you know, and so, and so, uh, you know, like he would preach, what he believed the gospel was saying and not, you know, and not a lot of people in the towns we were living in 
liked that <laughs> or liked hearing what he had to say, um, which, you know, which, which led to, which led to issues. And like, and beyond that, like, because he was a human who also suffered from mental illness and addiction and those, those things, uh, you know, like those also affected his, his career as well. And, you know, he ended up eventually, you know, uh, leave, leaving the church and losing his faith for a while. And, you know, and actually, you know, leaving our family for a while, you know, and which, uh, you know, unfortunately did not help the development of his children or, you know, or, and, uh, and, uh, definitely put a lot of, uh, I would say anger towards religion, especially at that time, you know, uh, although at this point in my life, well, I'm still, I still don't consider myself Christian. Like I don't, I don't, I no longer hate Christianity, you know, or whatever the, the way I feel like I did for a while there. So yeah, the moving around a lot, uh, made it a little bit like I'd make friends, but then I'd have to get new ones three years later, you know, which, which tends to, you know, which tends to create loners. And so I feel like on top of that, the fact that like I was also I was being raised by like essentially a liberal punk rock hippie pastor, you know, in these in these like Republican anti hippie, you know, like community, like essentially communities like, you know, that that I feel like unfortunately also aided the lonerism aspects of, you know, and like, you know, you just you start learning to to be your own friend and hang out with yourself a lot and listen and just constantly have headphones on on the bus to school and, and stuff like that, you know? And so, uh, you know, like I did, you know, I did develop some strong friendships throughout that period, but, uh, but yeah, like, like looking back, it's like, it definitely created more issues than I think I realized. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, the, you know, after, after the period of time where my father's mental illness got too much, got to be too much for him or the family to handle. And he, and he, in essence, abandoned the family for, uh, for a few years. Uh, like, you know, that, that also, you know, that, that, that gives people some trust issues and, you know, and, and, you know, things like that. Um, and it didn't, you know, it didn't help that with his mental illness, he was, he had started developing an interest in, in drugs again. And because I was a teenage, a teenager also getting into like this music that sort of supported a, a drug usage lifestyle. I think he used that as an, uh, an opportunity to bond with his son. And unfortunately it was something that wasn't very healthy. And so I was, I was essentially taught how to be a drug addict at a very young age. And, uh, and I'm still dealing with that, you know, but also I'm at a point in my life now where I'm healthy enough to where I can talk about it and not, and not be ashamed, you know, like it's, I, I feel like I have a responsibility as someone who has finally figured some shit out, you know, to, to pull people up with me if I can, you know, like I, I, 
that's that's one of the reasons I I try to maintain as much honesty as possible, both in my songwriting and in just talking to people. Like I I don't want to be ashamed of you know what my life was, you know, because it's helping me form the life that I have now and that I'm and that I'm looking forward to in the future. And uh, as shitty as a lot of that stuff was, like it is why who I am why I am who I am today and why I write the songs I write, you know? And so, you know, like honesty, as far as I'm concerned, is only going, is only going to help people. I mean, it might piss off my dad that I'm talking about, talking about it, but fuck, fuck dad. <laughs> so let's talk about inspiration. So the latest single Babylon for lovers, what was the inspiration behind that song? So, uh, <laughs> So I was, I was in the band, I was in a punk band called Russian Girlfriends at the time. And uh, my very good friend, Daniel, uh, Daniel Plukanota, uh had, had just gotten back from like, like an epic trip to Jamaica. Like he, he, this guy, like this guy was a world traveler, man. He, he lived in like Vietnam and Cambodia for a year. He, you know, like he, then he went to Jamaica. Like, like he just, he craved that, he craved that, that experience of just like immersing himself in another culture and learning from that. And, you know, and, and he, he came back from Jamaica and just like was obsessed with modern reggae and dance hall music. And like these artists that, that, that I had never given the time of day to like Ja Vinci and vibes cartel and, and massacre like like people that it, like if you don't know that music these names mean, mean fucking nothing but you know but he brought this music back and like at the time like i was i was really struggling to like to like quit opiates and i and i had been making i'd been making strides and but like was still kind of like hung up on like you know just like making that full commitment uh to 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 leave it completely behind and you know, Daniel, Daniel had come back and he just, and he, he, and he was, he was rolling spliffs and like listening to reggae music. And he was just like, no man, you got to fucking fuck chemicals, dude. Like, like listen to this music, man. It's all about positive living and like getting your, getting your mindset out of the, out of, out of like, out of what the colonizers want you to think. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, Daniel, we, we are descended from college. He's like, still, man, like we got, like, like you got to get out of that mindset. It's Babylon, man. America's fucking Babylon. And like, and it's holding, and, and it's designed to hold you back spiritually and emotionally, you know? And, and, and like, and so he's sharing me all, sharing with me all this music and like this like new structure to his life that he had found. And it was like, you know, and it really did like get like, kind of like, like, like kind of jolt me awake and like, give me this, like, means to be like yeah man like fuck chemicals like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna do drugs like just just smoke weed man like the creator gave this to you you know like there was so there was you know there was a there was a a lot of that that like like finally went into me being like yeah like no cocaine you know no oxy like no whatever like like fuck that shit if you're gonna do anything do it natural and and don't you know and don't let those things control you because they want you controlled, you know, you know, it took me a little longer to finally let go of alcohol, which is almost the worst of them, but it was still influenced by a lot of the same, the same, uh, 
things that he was talking to me about at the time. And, uh, and so, yeah, like the song came out of this, my personal struggle to like, stop just being complacent in this like culture of, of excess until death, like, and, and celebration of poverty and celebration of depression. And so, you know, like it was like, it was just this, this realization of, of like, yeah, like, like that, like, like, you know, I, I thought originally when I was, you know, started using drugs that it, that it was, um, that it was rebellious or that it was made me an individual or was, you know, and then like, you know, the older I got, gotten, the more, the more I stepped back to look at things and it was like, but I'm, but I'm not doing anything. Like I'm not actually doing anything. I'm, I'm getting high and, and sitting at home and watching TV or like drinking at the bar and like talking shit with some stranger and none of this is making the world a better place. And none of this is helping me to be a better person, you, you know, like to, to like to be a better person so I can make the world a better place, you know, in any faction that I possibly can. And so, yeah, that that's where that song was born out. It was just was a personal frustration and this like and 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 this struggle to get to get out of to get out of myself and to like, and to act bigger than myself. And, and, but also to be, but also with the honesty that this is the culture we were, you know, this is what we were given and this is, we can only work within this structure. So like, you know, what can I do and what will I actually do? You know? And so it's, and so it's, you know, it's calling myself out as much as it is calling everybody else out. You know, it's like, you know, what would I do and what would I do without nothing, you know? And, and, and so I feel like a lot of times the songs I write are like mantras for myself to try to motivate myself to fucking do something, <laughs> you know, to, to, to get out of, to get out of my own head and actually, and actually commit to action instead of just thought. So let's talk about a, a collaborator, um, Mr. Matt Pence. How did that collaboration come about and talk about how his impact on that album? Man, uh, so we we're huge fans of Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. And we had decided after our first record, because the first record wasn't really a band, a full band collaboration. It was, you know, my songs and Josh's production and uh and so because we had finally gotten to a point where like we are an official band we are writing songs together we are you know like we are we are now you know this is now something more than just a a project we had decided that we wanted to do something that we had all talked about our our, our entire lives which was hire an actual legitimate producer who has produced records that we love to to produce our record you know and we we were go you know we had looked into a bunch of different bands that we liked at the time uh you know other than Jason Isabel and the 400 unit like like John Padigo who did like Joshua Ray, Ray Walker's records and he and and uh I'm trying to and some other bands in Texas and like was a big part of the Dallas scene and like you know like we and and, and we were just listening to a bunch of albums kind of looking at who produced them and 
and we started kind of like, well, like, well, all we can do is ask and just started kind of sending out e- like emails of like, this, this is the kind of, here's, here's who we are. This is what we want to do. Here's some demos to new songs. And here's our old record. Like, would you want to work with us? And, and we didn't get any response to this, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, I mean, and we might've, you know, we were probably shooting a little high for some of them. Like, like, I'm really sorry to have sent you 20 emails, Rick Rubin, but I just thought maybe the, no, just kidding. And, but, but anyway, uh, Matt Pence actually responded and he responded in the positive. Like he, like he was straight up like, this sounds awesome. Yeah. I would love to work with you guys. And this, and we were just like, I remember when we got the email back that he was like interested in working and he was like, what? Like he really, like he actually wants to work with us. Oh, okay. You, you know? And, and so, you know, and so, and so like, you know, we, we talked to him, we, we, you know, we asked his price, we, you know, and then, and then we, you know, just went about like, all right, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're definitely not, you know, we're not going to be able to do this, uh, by ourselves. And so we, we, we started, you know, we did a Kickstarter and a a crowdfunding campaign and I'm normally against those because I, I like to be self-sufficient and that's probably, and that's probably just from growing up in the Midwest. Uh, but, uh, but one thing that we also noticed was happening while the band was becoming the band was that like we were developing a really cool like cult following of people who who I think had the same disenchantment with country music that we had when we were younger that we were now discovering was no longer the case and like you know and so it was you know it was actually like a really it was really cool to actually get to ask our fans to help us to help us with uh you know the paying for the production of this record because I feel like we were able to actually like in a weird way, personally bring them into the process and actually offer them like cool incentives to be part of this thing, you know, because, and, and so now looking back, you know, and, 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 you know, it's like, like, yes, we made this record, but we made this record like with our fans, you know, and that's really cool. Like that's a, that's really, really cool. And so, you know, like we, we, we figured out a good time that we could, that we could do the, you know, do the recording, which ended up being two weeks in between his tours, you know, like he was on the road with, he was on the road with shaky graves playing drums and then was getting ready to go back on the road with Jason Isbell in like two weeks. And he just goes, all right, so I have this two week window. Can we do it then? And we're like, yeah, we'll make it work. You know? And we, and we went down to Denton, Denton, Texas, I love Denton, Texas. And we went down to Denton, Texas uh, for two weeks and, you know, slept on, slept on families, you know, like, like our family's couch, our, our, our drummers, uh, uh, mother, mother-in-law like lives down there. And so, and so, you know, she loves the band as well and supports us. And so we went and essentially slept on their couches for two weeks and just every day for 10 hours a day, went into Echo Lab studio to, to make this record and the first day, like we, you know, like we hadn't even like met Matt Pence yet, you know, like we had just talked to him via email and we're just like, man, I can't believe he wants to do this, but all right. And so like, we weren't exactly sure how the process was going to go, but from day one, 
it was pretty apparent that we, it was like, it was like kismet. It was like, it was, it was very apparent that this, this was like supposed to happen. And this was the right guy for it. You know, he, he shows up and he has his excellent, very unique Matt Pence look. And and if you've ever met, met Matt Pence, you know what I'm saying. And it's fucking killer, but, but he, he, you know, like he, and he, he just right away, like he jumps out of his car with his dog Mavis and he just goes, all right, before we even enter the studio, I have to ask, am I here to just record this thing for you? Or do you want me to actually produce this record? And we were like, well, uh, yes. Like the whole, the reason we wanted you is because we want your production and your insight and your, and he just said, and he just says, all right, now just so you know what that means going, going into the, going into these, this studio, it means let me do my fucking job and, and let me, you know, and like, if I am producing the record, like, please don't fight me on every single decision. And, uh, you know, like, like, that is what that is what I'm here to do. And I'm going to make the best record for you guys possible, you know, and 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 we were like, cool. I we and, and we're actually very excited. We were actually very excited for that because it's nice to just play your music, you know, like it's nice to just be able to focus on playing, playing your songs and letting someone else go. Let's do that again. Or actually this guitar line was better. You know, I mean, just like, it's, it's nice having a set of fresh ears, you know, especially fresh ears that know what they're doing (laughs) and, and, and that have produced records for your heroes, you know? So, so, you know, we, first thing he did was bring in a keyboardist named Parker Toomey, who is actually Paul Coffin's keyboard player. So like this, he's like a 22 year old kid who is on tour with Paul Coffin all the time. And he is a brilliant fucking musician as well as a songwriter in his own right, who is, has his own own albums out. And Matt just says, this is your new keyboard player for, for the, for, for the recording. And we were like, all right. You know, like we've never even met this kid before, but Matt's like, Nope, I listened to the songs again. I had a couple different guys in mind. This is your keyboard. This is your piano keyboard player. And we were like, cool. And luckily we, immediately became best friends and bonded super hard and had an incredible experience with this, this kid essentially becoming a band member for two weeks and just like helping make the record better than it, than it would have been, you know? And uh, you know, and he, and, and the other great thing, you know, that we knew right away was that Matt was the right choice is he was like, okay, so here's, here's a keyboard player. Also, the more I've been listening to this, to this, uh, these demos and the songwriting and stuff. He's like, this can't be a super polished record. It needs to be raw. It needs to be real. And it needs to, and it needs to essentially be a live in the studio rock record, you know? And all of us were terrified at that prospect because, because, you know, we were so used to like, all right, you go in, you do the vocals and guitar, then the drum, you know, like that's the only way we'd ever done it before. Uh, click tracks, all that. And then with, for this album, he was just like, yeah, you know, I might give Dustin a click at first, but then I'm taking it out of his headphones and you guys are just going for it. And so the, the majority of the record was done live in the studio. And even, even the process of doing that and the, and the way, the way he used that process 
just brought so much more emotion out in the songs and in the way we played them and in and in the the way we the songs interact in your ears afterwards because we are literally there and together interacting on the spot, you know, and like, you know, there were, there were songs that we, that we went in with the expectation of being like, this is a cow punk fucking train beat, whatever. Next thing you know, that song is nothing but piano and vocals and it's gorgeous, you know? And you're just like, fuck yeah, man. Like, you know, it's, it was just moments like that were the reasons we wanted to, to have a producer in the first place. And Matt Pence was definitely the right choice. And he was, he just had the ability to bring, to bring everything amazing out in the band and, and like challenge us to, to just, to just be the best, the best version of a studio band that we could while also just being ourselves and goofing off and like, you know, or crying, you know, like, like, like there, there's a, there's a song on the new record that was actually one of our singles called for the love of whatever. And it's about my friend, uh, Daniel that I previously mentioned who inspired the song Babylon for lovers. Well, it, it's about Daniel taking his own life, uh, which, which w- was definitely a, a, a huge impact also on my life. But, uh, but like, you know, one of the reasons that song is, is as good as it is, is because, because of Parker Toomey, like Parker Toomey came up with that keyboard part on the fucking spot and it became literally it became the song you know and and like i i i had to do that song that was the song i had to sing the most as far as takes on the album because i kept breaking down in tears like it was awful like every time i'd get get halfway through i would just start bawling my eyes out and they'd have to stop recording and eventually we're going through the takes and the first take I did, the very first take live, live with the band, uh, where I start crying, he just goes, no, this is it. And I'm just like, but I'm like, crap, my voice is cracking. And he goes, yeah, because it's fucking real, you know? And that became what that song is, you know? And it's like, fuck, I don't know if I would have ever had, like, you know, would have ever had the balls to make that decision and just say like, no, keep the tears in keep the, you know, keep this little mistake. Like, like this is not a per it, perfection is not what we're going for here. We're going for honesty, you know? And yeah, I'm, I can't wait to share the whole record because it it is like the, it is essentially a concept record about, about loss and, and rebirth and, and, and just the, you know, coming to terms with becoming an adult, you know, <laughs> like really, you know, and I just like, it's fun dropping the singles and I love the response we've been getting from the singles, but it's definitely an album that was meant to be listened to as an album. So, so let's talk about the album and future music and touring for the rest of the year, or at least for the next like three to six months. What do your fans have to expect? Uh, we're we're going to be dropping a couple more singles we're trying to you know maintain a fairly regular regular schedule with that like a new song every six weeks type of thing and then we're also trying to make sure that there's music videos and lyric videos for all these songs um we're we're 
you know, we're currently in some talks with possible management. And so if we, if we, if we are able to make that work, that'll help us hopefully with things like song placement on, on streaming playlists and, you know, and uh, sponsorships and, you know, maybe, you know, and other possible uh, like gig connections that we maybe wouldn't have had without that. Um, you know, we're getting ready. You know, we took a little bit of a break during the winter just because we had such a busy year last year. And uh, now we're at the time. Now we're at the time uh, where we're getting crazy from not being from not being on the road, as opposed to being crazy from being on the road. So we're getting ready to hit it pretty hard, and I'm I'm pretty excited. Like we're gonna be, South by Southwest is our next big big thing, and then uh, in April we're gonna be on the road essentially from April fourth through April twenty second. That'll be our that'll be our our next full-length tour so to speak we start in red river new mexico which is kind of our home away from home they have a a famous uh honky tonk there called the motherload saloon which was actually the bar that was written about in the song redneck mother by ray wiley hubbard he wrote it about that particular bar and that's 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 our home away from home we we play there all the time and try out new material so we're starting there we're we're heading to Texas and then Arizona and then we're going to be in California. So so it's it's going to be a pretty cool run. Uh do doing uh, a couple of festivals like the Tex Clips Music Festival and the Cowboy Music Festival uh, on that run. After that, I think we're going to do we're you know, we're going to do a couple uh uh like regional shows like do Santa Fe, uh Roswell, Albuquerque, and then that would be for like the month of May. And then, and then moving into the summer, I think we're, I think we have uh, a Pacific Northwest tour planned as, as well as a Midwest tour planned where, where I'll actually get to bring the band back to my hometown of Aberdeen, South Dakota for a, for a, a music festival there. So, so, uh, so they get, so I'll get to take them and, and on a, on a little town tour to relive all my trauma and it'll be great. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And then throughout, throughout the touring, we are, we're always writing and, and, you know, and always trying new stuff out. Like I got in a kick recently where I've been revisiting a lot of, a lot of the punk bands and, and, and punk songs that I, that I, that I love that I feel like, are just such well-written songs that they could be, they could be themselves country songs. And so like we we're working on, you know, like a cover of the song skeleton key by the band banner pilot, which is a punk band out of Minneapolis. And, you know, and it's, and we're working on like turning that into like a modern country song. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering and kind of hoping that maybe we turn that into a little project and put out like a tribute to punk rock EP or right. you know, punk goes country or, you know, something just be, just because it's, it's been kind of fun going down the the nostalgia road. Now that I have let go of some of my anger towards punk rock <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, like we're always writing new material. Uh, we've, we've had some transitions with band members. We've, we've brought on a keyboard player officially and we're, we're uh, working with a new bass player now. So, so, so that that's prevented us from getting as much done as we, as we've wanted to in the last couple months, 
But now that those things are starting to solidify, it's starting to be smooth sailing. So, so uh, yeah, we're just really excited to hit the road, uh, start putting out new material and possibly, uh, you know, even maybe even self-produce our next record since we have so many talented individuals in the band, you know, so. Well, man, best of luck. I cannot wait to see you guys next month at South by, and then maybe down the road, we get a Northeast or mid Atlantic tour. So I don't have to travel across the country. Absolutely. Love it. Let me tell you, (laughs) I want to go, I want to go everywhere, man. Like I want to go back to Europe. I've only done Europe with, with the punk band. I'd love to go with this band. You know what I mean? So, but uh, for, we'll start with the continental U.S. first, and maybe get out to the East Coast before hopping over the pond to Sweden or you know Germany. That sounds like a plan. I, I like uh, I like the spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, do all that fun stuff to our YouTube channel, our social media pages. So it helps us. It helps the bands like Hooks and the Huckleberries. Um, also, check out our sponsor, RAR Outfitters. That's R-A-W-R, RARoutfitters.com for your clothing needs. It is February. It's hoodie season, so check that out. And like always, guys, I've been Dog. This has been Adam. You guys have been great. This is the Music Lab Podcast. <laughs>